You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast. Interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Beth Medley, welcome to Real Faith Stories. Really looking forward to our conversation today. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm going to open with a response you gave me to a question I asked. And that question was, in what specific ways has your experience, your story impacted your life? And you said, I would have never conceived or put into action anything that we have chosen over these past few years. Saying yes to Jesus in the small daily things and in the big things will take you places you would have never imagined. I think we're going to go there, aren't we? That's so true. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Beth, please share a little bit about yourself, and let's dig into that story. Yeah. So I I live in a college town in Texas, and um, I have six kiddos, and we homeschool them. And God has just kind of flipped our whole family upside down from the way that we had it. I was a stay-at-home mom for several years. Definitely did not think I would ever have six kids. Definitely did not think I would be the homeschool mom with a big white van. Um, (laughs) That was not part of my plan. But we have kind of flip-flopped our roles. My husband stays home with our kids the majority of the time. And and I've started my own business so that I can be there because with that many kids, and they're all really little, we're we're talking 10 and under. Wow. Uh, And so we need kind of all hands on deck to make sure that everybody's getting what they need. And so that's kind of where I am in life. Life right now, kind of in that entrepreneurial space and family craziness. If you are in it right now, I mean, comrades, like you're in the trenches with me. And if you have been <laughs> on the other side of that, I know you can have empathy for it because it is for real. <laughs> it is for real. As maybe I mentioned, Beth, we have eight children, four boys, four girls. I just sold a week or so ago our 15 passenger van that we've had since 1998. <laughs> I love it. Oh, the stories, the, the van stories, man. <laughs> yeah, it's the life. Put that in air quotes, okay? <laughs> Share some things, please, about how you got into this space of entrepreneurialism and how you were surprised by these changes that you were led into. Oh, definitely. I had kind of a unique home growing up. It definitely was like I was exposed to the Lord. We went to church all the time. My dad even taught Sunday school. And even from the outside, my family looked different because my mom was disabled. Mm. So my mom had spinal muscular atrophy, which is a form of muscular dystrophy. She had been in a wheelchair since she was in third grade. And I started doing her care very early on in my life her physical care. Now, she had a master's degree in special education, and she taught in Houston ISD for 30 years and was very successful. But it's so interesting because I think so often, and I'm finding more and more people can relate to this, you know, we have this picture on the outside that we want to portray to the world, especially as a family, mm-hmm. right? It was like our job was to prove that just because we were different, that we it didn't make any any difference for us, that that we were just like every other family. And the truth is, we probably were just like every other family in a lot of our brokenness. <laughs> there, there was a lot of brokenness in our family, just unhealthy emotional patterns and codependency. My dad had a lot of psychiatric issues, and so he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And so there was a lot of chaos, quiet, like quiet 
behind the doors chaos in our home. And so I didn't grow up with a lot of confidence. My role in our family was to, just to be like the calm one, to be the cute little sister, to try to diffuse situations and take care of my mom. And so when I remember getting ready for college and, and I was like, what am I supposed to major in? I'm not good at anything. I'm not good at anything, you know? I grew up in band. We were a band family. So I was like, I guess I'll major in music. I'm not particularly good at my instrument, but maybe if I become a music teacher, you don't really have to play your instrument. You just kind of have to like be able to deal with kids (laughs) and teach them the basics. You know, I was like, I can do that. So that's really what I went into college. That's how I met my husband. We were in the band together at Houston Baptist (laughs) University. And then quickly I realized I was not good enough at my instrument to be in a college band. And so I was like, well, I know I'm super messed up and I want to know why. So I should just major in psychology. So I switched over to that. And and that's when I kind of started owning that I was really good at people. I didn't know that. And, and I was good at people because of my trauma, because I had to yeah. learn how to read people really fast. But it was a really an interesting thing because as I grew and became an adult, I started seeing that as a strength. And that was probably the first thing that the Lord gave me. I had been a believer since I was a little girl, but what I saw in my home life didn't match the Jesus that I was taught about in Sunday school. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of this like nominal belief. I was like, I say I believe, I don't really know how to live that out. I'm doing my best. You know, they say that you have this relationship with Jesus, but I sure don't feel him. And so I just kind of was stumbling through life making decisions based on like broken emotional patterns and trying to fill needs that I had without really knowing how to do that with Jesus. So when you went to college, obviously you chose psychology. Was there a breakthrough around that? It sounded like there was. You know, the breakthrough I think in studying psychology was that I found out how much compassion I had for other people, for people who were suffering. And I started having a little bit more compassion for myself, which I think is a really big thing. It is. I want to pause on that. Having compassion for yourself. What did it feel like the first time you had a true recognition that you needed to give yourself compassion? You know, I don't have like a breakthrough moment for that. The one that is highlighted to me actually came way later. It was after I had a couple kids. I'd been married. And we got married really young. I was a sophomore in college when we got engaged. And everybody thought I was pregnant. I was not pregnant. I just really love this guy. And so I got that question a lot. I'll be like, you're 19. Why are you getting married? I was like, I just like it. And honestly, (laughs) looking back, I didn't want to be alone. That was a huge motivator for me getting married so young, I think, which was not healthy, but God redeems. And I love (laughs) my husband. He's the most incredible man. So I think really the breakthrough came for me much later. I actually had started a like a multi-level marketing company. And in this company, it was the first time I had ever really been exposed to the idea of personal growth or development. And it was the first time that somebody outside my family saw some of the broken patterns and the way that I was being mistreated. And they called it out. Because I didn't see it. A lot of my problems that I had, emotional problems with my mom, I was really codependent with my mom. And and that was difficult because she was disabled. And so it's not like I could just put up a boundary where I wouldn't be around her because she depended on me you yeah. know, to live. It was so validating to have somebody outside of my family see something that was hurting me. And it was like, oh, I guess that is wrong. 
And I think so often it's the value of community. Like God created us for community. We have got to have people in the trenches with us in our life. And if we don't show them the messy stuff, like how can anybody ever get any help? If we don't have people seeing the truth and the reality of our lives. So that experience sounds like it was a watershed moment when somebody called out what they were seeing and you actually said, yeah, that's true. Absolutely. It was life-changing, life-changing. How so? So the scripture where Jesus says the truth will set you free, I heard a teaching on it. And that word truth, and this is this has been such a an incredible thing for me to hold on to. That word truth sometimes could be better translated as reality. And so it's like you'll know the reality and the reality will set you free. And that to me. And to many other people I've worked with that have come out of abusive situations is everything because so often you question your reality and that's all levels of reality. I'm talking physical reality, emotional reality, spiritual reality. Like when we can see the reality of who Jesus is and what he has done for us, that changes everything. It will set us free. And so to me, it was like my eyes had been open to the reality of the severity of the brokenness in my relationship and in my brokenness and how I had just come to believe that I was just supposed to be treated like that. When that happened, was the backdrop for that kind of a business-oriented conversation or what? It was. Actually, we were at a restaurant and I had my upline director with me and my mom was with me and she was in my unit. And so it was so interesting because, and I have to say this, I love my mom and she just recently passed away Mm. as part of my story. But And she had so much breakthrough. God changed her heart and it was beautiful. And it's not like any of the stuff that she was doing to hurt me was on purpose. It was just patterns that she had from her family, right? Yeah. And so it was in a business setting that this happened because my mom was explaining why she wasn't able to be successful. So looking on it now, I'm like, oh, that was a lot of victim stuff coming out. I didn't see it that way because it was just what I had always heard. And all I ever heard was Beth isn't good enough. Beth isn't good enough. Beth isn't good enough. And I felt that like in my bones. I just believe that I could never be good enough. This whole sense of not being good enough, how did you come up with that idea? Where did that come from? I think because of family roles and emotional patterns, that was what was communicated to me, right? That it was communicated to me that I wasn't good enough. The things that I did that were good weren't celebrated. The things that I did were bad were like totally blown up in my face. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of blaming and shaming that happened in my family. And so it was just an internalized belief that I had. And it's one that's really, really common. And I'm too much and I'm not enough are really two sides of the same coin. It's the same wound. It's just presenting in different ways. So I'm really energetic and upbeat. And oftentimes, I also felt like I was too much for people. And my emotional stuff, I was too much for people. And my family baggage, I was too much for people. Even my husband, before we got engaged, I made him come on a family vacation with us because I was like, look, I'm going to be taking care of my mom for the rest of my life. And I don't even want you to put a ring on my finger until you 
know for sure that you're okay for signing up with this. And I wanted to give him an out for it. And thankfully he still asked and I still said yes. But but even that was just such a the grace of God because it was a lot for somebody who didn't really have a messy childhood the same way that I did. Now, once you had this recognition of what you'd been basically living in, steeped in, swimming in, and then you had this conversation that awakened you, what happened next? What was going on in the ensuing days, months, weeks, years that brought you completely out of this? In that season, I didn't really know that you could like have a conversation with God. I didn't really know that that was a thing that you could do, that you could hear God's voice. I know like people say that, and I only had one experience prior to this where I was like, I know that I know that God told me I need to name my kid Ezra. Like, I know that. Like, it was the only time I was nine weeks pregnant and I was like, I know I'm having a boy because I'm supposed to name him Ezra. And that was the only time I could point to where I was like, I know that I I heard God some kind of way. Uh And so God actually had us starting to go to this new church. And I'm telling you, He sent three people to us in the same day, like literally at our doorstep, telling us to come to this church. It was the craziest experience. I was like, okay, God, like we're going, you know? Wow. (laughs) And so like there was somebody that was at dinner. We were having dinner at Chick-fil-A with their shirt on and I mentioned it. And they're like, oh yeah, come to a group tonight. I was like, I'm not coming. I don't know you people. (laughs) And then literally a, a, a group of college kids came to our door and they're like, oh, your light's on in your car. By the way, can we pray for you? I'm thinking... I'm like, sure, love praying. Come on inside. (laughs) And I'm thinking I'm going to have to minister to these people and tell them truth. And then they're like, Holy Spirit, rain down praying. And I'm like, I don't know who these people are. And then they were from that church, like, come to our church. I was like, okay. And we didn't go Sunday morning. And then Sunday evening, I held a, a meeting at my studio And these girls came in and this one girl was smiling ear to ear. I mean, she was radiant. And I was like, you are radiant. What? What? Tell me your story. And she was like, I was baptized this morning. And I'm (laughs) like, what? And she was like, I go to this church. And I was like, okay, fine. God, we will go. That is unreal. It was crazy. Three times in one day. Beating us over the head. And so we went the next week and I just had never seen people so alive in my life. I just looked at these people. I was like, I don't know what is happening here, but we're coming. And it was at that church that we were really introduced to the Holy Spirit. Because I grew up Baptist and then non-denominational, independent like churches. And it was kind of like there was God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Bible. Like we didn't talk about the Holy Spirit. I didn't know any of the things that, that they were teaching. And so it was in that place that I really started learning about this idea of hearing God's voice. And there's a song called No Longer Slaves. And it was so funny. I was I was listening to music right before I got on the phone with you and that song came on and I was like, okay, I think I'm supposed to talk about this guy. I put it on as my alarm in this one season of my life. It was the alarm on my phone that I got up every morning to to get my kids ready. And it was probably about a year and a half to two years that I listened to this song every morning. And I never buy songs. Okay. Like I was never one to go on iTunes and buy a song like (laughs) ever. And I bought this song. So this is a big deal for me. And so (laughs) they put it on my phone and I listened to it every day. Every day it was drilled into my mind that I am a child of God. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. All day, every day, I am a child of God. And it started this slow transformation of, oh, like, this really is who I am. And if that's really true, then if I'm good enough for God, then I'm good enough, you know? 
Yeah. Like I, I'm good enough and and started this process of tending my heart and and looking for lies that I was believing and asking God what lie am I believing? You don't believe that I'm good. Oh God, like I am so sorry. I repent for believing the lie that you're not good. God, what truth do you have for me to replace this lie? And he would be always be so faithful to give it. And I started this process of pulling these weeds that had such deep roots in my heart and forgiving and and being in a place of community where I could talk to people about how difficult it was to forgive sometimes mm-hmm. that would give me stories about when it was hard for them to forgive and what the Lord said to them. And it changed everything about how I viewed myself. It changed my husband. He was freed from addiction and didn't even know what hit him. And then we went through this crazy season of warfare where my children were getting free. And I mean, it was just like God was cleaning house over these few years that I had really started internalizing the truth of who he said I was. Share what you did again. You asked the Lord a question and then you listened for his answer. What was the question that you kept asking? What lie am I believing? What lie am I believing? I still have to do this like all the time, actually. Because when you have a garden, if you have an overgrown garden and you've never weeded, then you're going to have to go through and and pull some pretty deep roots. But once it's already been weeded, weeds are going to pop up, but then it's easy to just come and pull them out. It's like, oh, these these roots aren't deep. Like, I'm just going to pull this out. And it was this process called tending your heart that this church kind of walked us through. And my sweet friend, Charity Rios, wrote a children's book about it. It's called My Heart's Garden. And I highly suggest it for anybody. It's great for adults too. I love children's books because they're written in such a way that can be so powerful. I'm like, I need it like this. Explain it to me like I'm five, please. But if we pull out a lie and we don't replace it with truth, you have this gaping hole. Satan loves to sow the seeds of lies in our wounds. It's just what he does. It's how he operates. And so if we can go looking for the wounding and say, okay, now where is the lie? Where's the lie that I have been believing around this wound? It's just incredible to see what God can do with our hearts. And I mean, this can be about, God, what lie am I believing about you? What lie am I believing about myself? What lie am I believing about others, about my kid? You know, one of the most convicting is I was believing the lie that my child was annoying. That was rough, like stabbed to the heart. He has ADHD and he's just kind of larger than life. And I was having a lot of behavioral issues with him. And I was like, God, am I believing a lie about this kid? And straight up, I'm telling you, you're believing that he's annoying. And I was like, okay. And so I'm like, God, what truth do you have? Like, who do you say that he is? And I mean, this whole list, and as I started believing the truth about him and speaking that and behaving like that was true towards him, it's so incredible how those things come out. What we believe matters. Totally. It so matters. The whole garden analogy, it's fascinating to me that if you camp on that and really think about it, my wife and I were literally talking about this just a few weeks ago, that the whole spiritual walk with Jesus mm-hmm. is tending that garden. Yes. It's the greatest analogy we've ever seen. It's like, well, we've really got to take care of some of these things. And you can never be still because if you're mm-hmm. still, the weeds just start popping up. In other words, be still with respect to your relationship to the Lord and not continually pursuing him, right? Yes. Now that you've gone through this space of asking the Lord about the lies you believe, Him replacing that with truth, what happened with respect to this entrepreneurial journey you launched into? I was with that 
direct sales company for years, actually, and had had pretty good success there. And that was really my first taste of entrepreneurism. It's, you know, like a baby step. And, and I learned about selling and I learned about relationship building and I learned about training and growing yourself and all of those things. And then I, I felt like it was time to step away from that as my mom was moving back in with us. And and I was having another kiddo. And so I think I was three deep at that point. So then I was home. I was stay-at-home mom for several years. I started homeschooling, really continued in this journey. And then my husband left his job. And it was kind of an unexpected thing. And we just really felt like I mean, he was not okay emotionally there and he was praying and he came out of the shower one day and he was like, Beth, I really feel like God said that if we leave, he'll take care of us. And I was like, if he said that, then you're leaving because this is not worth any kind of money to me. And I'm like, only obedience. Like we will stay out of obedience to the Lord, but if he's saying you can go, we are out of here. Obviously, you and your husband were praying through this. So yes. When he popped out of the shower and said, I think I'm supposed to leave, it wasn't just this random thought. It was something clearly you'd been focused on in prayer, I would suspect. Absolutely. Yeah, we had really been praying and pursuing the Lord about it. And it was so interesting. Even a couple years before that, we felt like God had given us this promise that He was going to bring Sam home. And we thought, of course, that we knew what that would look like. We were like, we had this plan. And even at the point where he was leaving his job, he had already had a second interview lined up with uh, with a pretty prominent news outlet where he was going to become a writer for them. And it felt really good. Like he was like, yeah, everything went really well. It's, they said it's basically a formality. And so we thought he already had a job. And I'm like, okay, great. This is what we're doing. That was not what we were doing. No, <laughs> we did not know. We thought we had a good plan. And he was just going to work from home because he just you know, working full time, he didn't really get to see our kids very much. You know, he gave them a bath at night and helped put some of them to bed, but it wasn't enough. He wanted to be in their life more. So then we went this stretch where we didn't have any income and we're like, okay, God, I don't know what you're doing. And he brought me in for an interview at a local business that's a retail and spa. And so I was like, God, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why you're having me come here. They hire cute little college girls. I am pregnant with my fifth child. I am in my 30s. I am not who they hire for this. And I need to make more money than this. And it was just like being obedient in the teeny tiny steps. You know, like he told me how much money to ask for in the interview on my way there. Because I'm having this conversation with him. And I'm like, God, what am I doing here? And he's like, you're going to ask for this much money. And they weren't going to pay me that much money to be a front desk girl, but they paid me that much money to do some marketing. And so I had this little part-time marketing job that I got while my husband was staying home. And we were kind of starting to transition him into like doing more homeschool while I was working. And and then COVID hit and everything blew up and I lost my job, but the Lord sustained us. And we I was on unemployment eight weeks right after I had my baby. You know, I had my fifth child on March 6th, 2020, and it was right before everything blew up. So I had this beautiful eight-week maternity leave with him and it was completely covered. Like we could pay all of our bills. It was like the most breathing room I had ever had, I felt like as an adult. And then when things started up again, I went back full time for about a year. And it was definitely like a training season for me. And I saw so much in that world of kind of corporate America and have running a bigger business and having employees and managing people because I did that before, but not really in the same way. And I felt like it was just this training. And so in January, it was clear it was time for me to go. And someone was like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know. I can do anything. We'll see. And so I just quit my job and felt like 
I woke up one morning and God was like, you're a life coach. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. Okay, wait, uh, wait, 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 Beth. Mm-hmm. You just woke up one morning and decided to quit your job. Oh, it was crazy. I mean, I, I had been on my way out. Okay. I did not want to stay there. I was like begging God to let me leave. And he hadn't. So that's kind of the, the emotional state I was in when I left this place because I didn't want to be there. But he was really firm about me staying there. And he had told me at the beginning that I would be there about a year. And sure enough, it was a little bit over a year that I was there. And he was just as firm about you leaving. Yes. Yes. When it was time, he was like, go. I was like, yes, sir. (laughs) So I woke up that morning and I was like, he said, you're a life coach. And literally, I had never met a life coach in my life. I had never done a life coach Google search online. I knew nothing about this. I love this. <laughs> I mean, I literally thought a life coach was like rich people paid for their best friend. Like that's all that I thought <laughs> it was. I was like, this sounds fake. Like there's no way this is a real thing. And I, as I find with a lot of coaches or just people who want to be in a healing space, like we've been doing this forever. It's just our heart, you yeah. know, like it doesn't matter where I am. And that started back in college with my first direct sales job, getting to walk alongside people. Because when I started that job, I did not like women. I did not like pink. And it was very pink. Beth, it was a very pink world. Beth, you are a woman. I, I am so aware. But there are a lot of women listening that I know know what I'm talking about. Okay. (laughs) I did not like being around women. I did not trust them. I would have rather been around a man any day of the week because I just didn't trust women and I didn't have friends. I did not. And as I started this journey, I was like, wow, I love watching what happens when you breathe belief into a woman and they start growing confidence in who they are. And so that was really where like the Lord just planted in my heart this love for His daughters. Like I am passionate about seeing His daughters free. I am also passionate about seeing His sons free, but there is just something special for me about walking with a daughter into some freedom. And that is now what I get to do full time. And I'm not going to lie to you, it's not been easy. <laughs> From that January, you know, quitting of my job, we went eight months without any income. Wow. I got my first client eight months in because I had my sixth baby too. That was part of it. We lost our house. We couldn't pay, pay our rent anymore. Actually, the Salvation Army paid our last month of rent in that place. And the Lord had just prepared a little place for us. My good friends from our church had a little house on the back of their property. And they were like, you know, we we just really feel like the Lord has this place for you. So please come. And then while I was there, you know, we're like, we're starting this nonprofit. So we started a nonprofit to, and we're doing Bible-based trauma healing classes and teaching people about trauma in the church and abuse in the church and how can we love people going through these things. And it has been the most incredible journey and watching how God has provided for us when we take these crazy leaps off these huge ledges with with a giant family. Like we are not leaping by ourselves, you know, and we talk to our kids about it. We're like, hey guys, you know, this is what I think God is telling us to do. I want you to pray about it and see what he says to you. Amen. And like, It's incredible. Like they hear from the Lord. There's no junior Holy Spirit. They get the whole full thing. Yes. And it's beautiful to watch them buy into what God has for our family. To your point, Beth, my two oldest sons 
when I left corporate America to help start a company with a friend, I was on the road 1,000 to 1,500 miles a week. And every Sunday, we would meet in their bedroom and worship, pray together. And then I would ask them to tell me what they heard God saying over me for that week. Mm-hmm. About to lose it. <laughs> Precious precious times with my sons. And yes, there is no junior Holy Spirit. They would pray prayers that I was undone by their faith. And it sustained me. Literally, God used my children to help sustain me in those moments. I know you get that. So beautiful. Someone listening to this is probably thinking, wow, I feel this nudge from the Lord, this invitation to make this shift in my life. And let's say it is in coaching, just as an example. What would be some advice you'd give somebody right up front when they start feeling this, but they're overwhelmed with like, oh my gosh, I don't know anything about this, but I feel called to step into something like this. I think my first thing would be to seek wise counsel. Always seek wise counsel. And I'm not saying that everybody has to jump off crazy ledges like we did. Um, (laughs) It was just, and that's not always how it works. You know, like most of the time you're going to start your business and do it on the side and maybe grow it and then kind of lean into switching. We are just, we're just us. And so we didn't do that. And that's just not what I, I felt like the Lord was calling us into. But no matter what you do, like know without a shadow of a doubt that the Lord God of the universe, like creator of heaven and earth, is not going to leave you hanging. He's just not. Like, it's not his character. It's not who he is. And like, he will take us on a journey to our purpose. And that journey doesn't always look like we we want it to look like. My children never missed a meal. I might have been cutting up potatoes and like pretending like I'm super excited that we're having french fries for dinner, but really that's like all we had. He sustained us. He sustained us emotionally. He sustained us physically. He sustained us spiritually. So seek wise counsel and then make sure that you have a team of people that are going to be with you as you're doing this. Like, Please, please, please do not do this alone. And I don't know what that looks like for you, but I know that God is faithful to bring the people if we ask, because He loves for His children to support one another. I know mine came up in a Facebook ad, and I saw Mitch Matthews, you know, and I was like, well, I don't know who this guy is, but I guess I'm signing up for his thing. And he just loved the Lord, and it was this incredible connection to be able to see how people did this thing. And then just always lean into that curiosity and just keep learning because there's a million ways to do things and God's inventing new ways every day. Yeah, And He will tell you, He will give you strategy. He will give you opportunities, you know, and that you would have never imagined. And He will walk with you in them. That's so good. It reminds me of a conversation I had with Shay Bynes who has an incredible ministry called Kingdom Driven Entrepreneur, who said, you know, you can buy someone else's blueprint or you can get your own blueprint from God. Yes, 1,000%. And there's nothing wrong with following the tenets of someone else's blueprint, but is it really exactly what God wants you to do? Mm-hmm. How can people find out more about you, Beth? Yeah, they can always email me at beth at bethmedley.com. Or they can hop on my website, which is bethmedley.com. And I'm on Facebook and Instagram, so LinkedIn, you know, all the places. Got it. As we finish here, I'd love to have you pray for our listeners, please. Yes. Dear Lord God, you are so good. I am just 
in awe of your beauty and your goodness. God, you never leave us. You're always with us. You're always ready to adventure with us, God. You're ready to heal us. You're ready to give us whatever it is that we need. Lord, and just this morning, you were telling me how much you want our wholeness and our peace, how much you want to talk to us more than we want to hear. I promise. Sometimes we have that feeling, God, like, oh, if you would just talk to me, if you would just write on the wall. But God, you just are inviting us, inviting us to hear you within within our mind, within our hearts, Holy Spirit inside of us. Thank you, Jesus, for making a way for that incredible, amazing thing, Lord. And I pray, God, for every ear that hears this conversation, that whatever needed to be highlighted in their heart, Holy Spirit, that you would highlight it now, that it would not be something that they could forget, that it would be highlighted and forgotten, but Lord, that it would stay in their mind until you bring them whoever it is that they need to talk to about that thing. Because God, we know that you made your children for community and we need to talk about these things, Lord. So give them safe places, safe people in their lives to be able to be real with and really hear your voice, internalize your voice, God and give them truth to live out their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Beth, thank you. Loved your story. Thank you so much. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, Read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.